Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Long Ride, an interview with professional rodeo athlete Taylor Durrett. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Taylor Durrett. Taylor Durrett is a 28-year-old woman from Carmel Valley, California. She was bitten by a tick and contracted Lyme disease not once, but twice. The first incident occurred when she was just 11 years old. At that time, she developed severe migraines, flu symptoms, and heart issues. After receiving treatment, Taylor recovered significantly. She went on to college and then developed an event planning business and competed in professional rodeo events like barrel racing and cutting. Her dual careers came to a crashing halt after Taylor suffered a second tick bite that infected her with Lyme disease and co-infections. This second tick bite infected Taylor with tick diseases that caused her to suffer migraines, nausea, vomiting, and nerve pain. The symptoms developed to the point where Taylor had trouble forming words, participating in conversations, and showering without assistance. Despite the professional and personal losses caused by her tick bite, Taylor believes that some good has resulted from her tick bite experiences. She is comforted daily by her black lab and her therapy pig, Bubbles. Additionally, the rodeo companies and Western brands that had sponsored Taylor's professional rodeo career have stuck with her during her battle with Lyme disease. Tick Boot Camp acknowledges Cowie Brand, Rodeo Naked, Coastal Pulse Therapy, Best Ever Pads, and Montraband, who continue to be encouraged by Taylor's story and refuse to give up on her. Hello, Taylor, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. We're blessed to have you, Taylor. And can you share with our listeners where you're from? Yes, I am from Carmel Valley, California. So, Taylor, where did you go to college? I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo here in California. And what did you major in? Parks and Rec, but it was a concentration of event planning. They didn't have a hospitality major at my school. I originally was communications and I switched. I didn't really get the event planning thing until I had already gotten in. Because with Cal Poly, it's weird. You pick your major when you apply. When you graduated from college, what kind of work did you perform? I actually did not graduate. I went for three years and then I was offered a full-time position as an event manager at a country club the summer before I was supposed to go back for my fourth year. And, you know, that was kind of the job I had been hoping for. I had worked as an assistant for several years as a summer job. So when that opportunity presented itself, I put a lot of thought in it. I love the social aspect of college, but school was very difficult for me, uh, a huge anxiety trigger. So I decided the best route for me was to be in the business world. And I, and I flourished in the event planning world. And I, and I do think that was the right decision for me. So tell, I understand that at some point you started your own business in that arena. Yes. When I started tailor-made weddings and events, which it was a pretty cool experience to be young and have my own business. Um, I felt really fortunate because I felt like so many people my age really had no idea what they wanted to do. And here I was, you know, launching my business and I had a really successful few years. My mom was a huge support system helping me with my company, but I was other than her, I was a one man show. So, you know, wedding days, it was like 18 hour work days sometimes, but it was a really, really fun experience. Now, Tyler, I understand that you're sort of a renaissance woman where you had both this developing career in the event planning world, but you also were a professional athlete. Yes. People used to say they had no idea 
how I had time for everything. And I, yeah, I, so I owned my own wedding planning business and then I competed professionally in barrel racing um, and also competed in another Western riding event called Cutting. And I, so I was a very busy person. I mean, I would go to work with my business and then go, you know, ride afterwards to practice. And on weekends, if I wasn't hosting a wedding, then I was competing. So Taylor, you were pursuing both this career as an event planner, you were pursuing your career as a professional athlete, and then things started to slow down for you. You can share with us what type of physical challenges you began to face that interfered with these two parallel goals that you were pursuing? Yes, I feel like I used to be able to put in 18 hour days, no problem. Um, And I also managed to have a very active social life in between all of those things. So I would say I started to just really fade, um, especially during the wedding I started to feel like I couldn't stay on my feet, you know, for the full wedding and my energy would really die down. And, you know, you got to be on when you're a wedding planner. And so I would, excuse me, I would push myself and stay on in front of people. But when I had a moment to myself, I was crashing, you know, I would sink down and, and I, it started to be that I, on my days off of work, I started to be unable to get out of bed. Like, cause I was so giving everything I had to the job that I, I couldn't get out of bed. And then, you know, then the competing started being less and less because I was struggling so hard just to get through work. That was kind of the big shift was when I realized that I just, I couldn't take both things anymore. That used to be kind of effortless for me. So, Taylor, one of the things that we haven't yet shared with our listeners is that you had actually suffered from a tick disease during your childhood, correct? Yes. Can you share with Um, us what that was like and how that ultimately resolved? Yes. So, I was sick a lot as a child. I, To be honest, I don't really remember what it was like as a kid before I got sick. It started with headaches and migraines and then I also presented a lot of flu-like symptoms. I would miss a lot of school. My mom took me to so many different kinds of doctors trying to find out what was wrong and they couldn't couldn't figure it out. I was even having fainting spells at school. I would kind of go from having like a racing heart to where I was shaking. I was so jittery and then so low to fainting. So we were kind of going all over the place trying to figure out what was going on, but it was a little bit tricky here in California. Doctors didn't think to test me for long because I hadn't been to the East Coast. They didn't realize we had it here. And then finally, this one doctor, Dr. Janine Talty, she had just come from a conference on Lyme disease. And that was the biggest blessing that that had happened because she then, you know, felt like my symptoms definitely could be that. And she ordered the lab kit through Igenics Lab. And that's when I got diagnosed. And then we really saw a doctor that was more specialized for Lyme disease. She wasn't in my area. In my area, there wasn't even a doctor who would see a kid with Lyme. So I had to travel a few hours to see this, this doctor. Did the Lyme disease symptoms that you had faced as a child ultimately resolve? 
They did for like three three years. I would say they were they were pretty much gone for three years. And the second time around, it was similar symptoms, but then more symptoms. So Tara, let's talk about your childhood and the symptoms that you had faced during your childhood and some of the challenges that they presented. So you're a young child, you're, you're not feeling well, and you're going to various doctors and you're not being diagnosed with a disease. How were you treated by your friends? How were you treated by your family? How were you treated by your siblings when you were sick or claiming to be sick, but you were not being diagnosed by a doctor? I'm so, so blessed and thankful that my parents were so supportive and dedicated to finding out what was wrong with me. You know, they 100% knew that something was very wrong. They spent time researching. They took me to as many doctors as they could think of and find and were very dedicated to helping me my friends, I would, I didn't give any of them the opportunity when I was young to be there for me because I kept it a secret. Because when you're young, I feel like you're so worried about, you know, being judged and being treated differently. So I, I mean, I had my one best friend as a kid that did know. And she actually went on to write a paper about me in high school about how I was her hero because I had overcome all this stuff in secret, which was really special. But as a kid, I was pretty private about my health experience. And I have two older brothers who are great and so supportive. How did you feel when you were going to doctors and they were not giving you a diagnosis? Did you feel that perhaps you were psychologically unhealthy rather than physically unhealthy? I had one doctor, my pediatrician, tell me that my pain was all in my head and that was incredibly upsetting even as a child because I knew something was wrong with me I I knew I didn't for a second think that it was in my head I understand that obviously anxiety and things like that mental stuff go along with it but I never thought that it was all created in my head and that doctor ended up eating his words a little bit because I was having these crazy abdominal pains and you know he said it was in my head and because I've had you know all the other symptoms and everything that I was complaining about but then I ended up going into emergency surgery at 12 years old and my right fallopian tube had filled with bacteria twisted and died uh, which was obviously incredibly painful and they also found endometriosis which now they believe that the Lyme actually attacked my female parts and caused the endometriosis but I feel like it wasn't till that point that my doctor took me seriously. And what impact did that have on your confidence as a young person? When I was little I was pretty insecure. I was really tall which you know, I mean, so silly to be insecure about things like that, but it, it happens so much in this world. And so I felt like I stood out in that sense. And I, I was pretty shy as a kid. I mean, I used to like hide behind my dad. But I've kind of been that way my whole life. I mean, even now people think I'm very outgoing and confident, but inside I struggle with a lot of anxiety and confidence issues. So Taylor, I want to fast forward now to the point where you're beginning to show uh, symptoms of your illness and it's interfering with your capacity to run your business 
and to pursue your career as a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. What were your yeah. thoughts when you first started to get sick? And did you have any concerns that you were having a relapse or a reintroduction of a tick disease? So the second time around when I started to have symptoms again, it was primarily um, head pain. And that was my first symptom around the first time. But I was convinced that this was different because it was a different kind of headache. It's severe pain right in the center of your forehead. And when it started up second time around, I was having uh, like these waves. You know, I'd have six months of it being so, so bad every single day. And then I'd have periods of doing better. And we couldn't really find any sort of pattern to that as far as triggers. So I was seeing so many specialists about migraines specifically. So we were just looking at at it as that but you know none of the typical migraine treatments ever helped me at all then I have been told that they were different than migraines because it's not like I would go into a dark quiet room it was more certain lighting like fluorescent lights I couldn't handle and certain sounds like high pitches and different things but I didn't have to be totally quiet totally dark and they were just weird in the sense that, like, when I would get them, they would be every day for a while. So I kind of thought that it was a different issue. And then I started having more nausea and vomiting, which, yes, that was a symptom of my Lyme, but that's also a symptom of migraine. So, you know, we kind of blamed that on that as well. My parents, though, were, when the migraines started getting worse and worse and more often, they were very convinced that it was Lyme again. And I kept saying, no, 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 it's different. It feels completely different. And to be honest, I don't know that it really felt completely different. I think subconsciously, I was so not open to the fact that Lyme could be in my life again, because, you know, it affected my entire childhood. And it had already, in my mind, stolen years for me. And it was kind of like, oh, I'm not going to let that happen again. Like, that's not it. I think I was so excited with where my life was going finally that I didn't want anything to take that away. So I was really in denial. And then more and more symptoms came up, like nerve pains and some heart issues. And then the big thing this time around that didn't happen the first time was my brain completely changed. Like I could not have this conversation right now. It got to the point where I couldn't have, you know, just a quick conversation. I would lose my words as I was trying to say them. I would stutter or I would repeat myself. I couldn't remember anything so Taylor, can you talk to us about how this progressive illness was not just impacting your professional life, both as a wedding planner and as a professional athlete, but how was it affecting you socially? Um, it was a pretty drastic change. I was always a social butterfly, even with my busy career and rodeoing. I always, you know, was constantly out with friends or doing girls' nights. Um, I was incredibly social and then it went to you know hardly being able to communicate with friends you know just struggling to even return their calls or their text messages 
and then I just, as much as I would want to do something socially, when it would come down to that moment, I'd try to get ready, and then I would fade, and I couldn't make it, and it was pretty difficult for me to go through that transition, especially because you know, I was sick once before and I did hide it for the most part, but then I kind of came out in a big way junior year of high school. I agreed to do a newspaper article because I wanted to create awareness in our area. And I was trying to put a positive spin on the article and make it like, you know, about me still rodeoing and all that. But the the person who did it, his he titled it like Carmel Valley Girl Fights for Her Life, like made it so dramatic. And in my mind back then, you know, I, I didn't feel I was at risk of dying. And I thought that was a bit dramatic and negative. And of course, I went to school the next day and people were like, oh, my God, is it like AIDS or am I going to catch it? You know, because people didn't know about it here. And I also spoke at a Lyme awareness event back in 2008. And so those were kind of the times that I openly talked about it. And then people realized, you know, what I had been struggling with for so long, because it was years of like running to the bathroom during class and puking and, and people having no idea. But so because then people knew that for so many years, I had this illness, but was able to still have somewhat of a social life and still compete in rodeos every weekend people were kind of like this time around, like, okay, well, are you just not pushing yourself? You know, people were kind of acting like I was being lazier this time or giving up or, you know, being weak compared to the first time around. And that's been a tough thing for me to navigate because you start to wonder that yourself. But what I know is I've had so many different things this time around with the co-infections and other autoimmune diseases that my symptoms are so much worse. And as much as my brain wants to do things, I've had to learn that there's times that pushing myself is going to make me worse. And I need to 100% focus on getting better, but that can be hard for other people to understand. Taylor, what was the gap in time between when you first started showing your symptoms of your second experience with Lyme and when you ultimately got tested? Probably a few years because there was a chunk of time, like a couple years, where I was having bad bouts and then decent bouts so I could still manage a career and competing in social life, but I would have spells of being in the hospital five days, you know, trying to get my pain down. But then when it got, I would say a couple of years ago, I went completely downhill, so debilitated to where I had to give up my business and stopped competing. It was hard for me to even ride at all. And definitely a non-existent social life. It's been a, a very different experience for me than the first time around, you know, not being able to push forward through everything like I thought, but it was, it definitely went from being somewhat interruptive of my life to completely debilitating over like a couple of years span. Now, Teller, you were Lyme aware, but you waited for a long period of time before you would get tested. Why did you wait to get tested? Wish I had not <laughs> because 
you know, it's like what I know from the first time around. Obviously, earlier diagnosis makes it so much easier. But I really think for me, it was on a subconscious level. You know, it was like I mentioned earlier, just when you overcome something like that after so many years, and then you finally like have this success of, you know, owning my own business at a young age and competing. And I kind of felt like I had all everything going for me, you know, and then it was like, all of a sudden, I started to decline. And then it was like, my friends were starting to have careers and get married and have children. And I didn't want to lose what I had going for me. And I think in my mind, like bringing Lyme back into the picture, I really felt like it would be taking what I had built. And so I think I just didn't want that to be the case. So subconsciously, I made myself believe it was something different. Taylor, do you believe that you were going to be able to fight through this challenge if you just didn't test for it? I don't think so. I think I would be so much worse by now if I had kept ignoring it. I mean, with with how my brain went, even my doctor, when I finally went back to the same line doctor I'd seen when I was younger, she had said that if I didn't start treatment the second time around when we did, she thinks I would have suffered permanent brain damage and could have had a lot of other things get so much worse. So I'm I'm thankful that I finally did agree to get tested again. I wish I had done it sooner. Natalia, you said that you wish you had started treatment earlier. Why do you believe you should have started treatment earlier? Well, what I've learned over the years with Lyme is if you can catch it quick, it's no big deal. Um, You know, if you catch it quick, like the first time around, I know like it can be just three weeks to a month of antibiotics and you're good. I don't know if it would have been that simple my second time around just because I already had a compromised immune system from the first time. So I don't know if it would have been that easy, but I do feel if I had been diagnosed sooner it would be easier to treat because I know with Lyme, you know, it's this, it's this beast growing inside of you pretty much because it's the spirochetes, they spread and they attack everything. So the longer you have it, you know, the longer it has to attack every part of your body. So I just think, you know, if you're starting to have symptoms like that, or even if you're having things that like a doctor can't explain, get tested for Lyme. Now, Taylor, you and your doctors ultimately came to the conclusion that the second Lyme experience was a consequence of a separate tick bite. Is that correct? Yes. The way that we were able to determine that was I have different co-infections this time around than I did the first time. Now, Taylor, I'm wondering what steps you took as a consequence of being tick aware to protect yourself from a separate tick bite. So I should have been very vigilant about checking myself after being around the horses or going hiking. So Taylor, have you come to the conclusion that being tick aware is not enough, that you need something more than awareness to protect yourself from tick diseases? Absolutely. I think, you know, with awareness, it's tough because there's going to be people who just don't think that it's going to happen to them. You know, that's kind of the way the world sort of operates. And same with me. It's like, I'm not going to get it a second time. In my mind, I'm like, who gets it twice? But it is, it does happen. And 
I just think tick awareness, you can kind of like, okay, yeah, it happens, but you may not apply it to yourself. So I think you really need to know what your surroundings are if you're the type of person who's around ticks. I mean, really, you're you're exposed if you go outside. So pretty much everybody's at risk, but there's obviously people who are more so in that environment if you... Like, I went to school on a golf course for a little while where ticks are prevalent. I, you know, I have horses, I've had dogs, I hike, so I've definitely been around it. And I think now there's so many great resources and tools, like the little tick removal kits that you can bring with you. There's so many different kinds of tick repellents. There's even the tick repellent clothing. So I think it's really important to not only be tick aware, but to know what kinds of things that you need to be doing before and after certain activities where you're exposed, you know, even like taking a hot shower right after. There's just a lot of things to pay attention to. And I think it's also paying attention to your body. You know, if you start to feel funky and you're like, gosh, a few weeks ago I went hiking, you know, like I would probably just get on antibiotic, ask my doctor for antibiotics right then, even without a test, you know, just to be safe. If you know that you were potentially exposed, in my opinion, just nip it in the bud. Did you get misdiagnosed with anything else before you finally got your second Lyme diagnosis? I remember a lot of people that, or a lot of doctors that could have fibromyalgia, which is such a common misdiagnosis for Lyme because I did have a lot of the body and nerve pains. And then obviously being diagnosed with migraines and told that a lot of my symptoms could stem from the migraines. And also, you know, I did get diagnosed with anxiety and things like that. But I think that I didn't get a whole lot of misdiagnosis. I more got just people not know, doctors not knowing what was wrong. And so that's why I say, you know, if you are seeing a doctor and they don't know what's wrong with you, get tested for Lyme because it affects everybody a little bit differently. And it's one that doctors, at least in California, and I think a lot of other places too, struggle to realize that that's what they should be testing for because there are other things like fibromyalgia do you think that your migraine misdiagnosis prolonged your, your eventual Lyme diagnosis and resulted in you being sicker than you would have been long-term? Definitely, because I was convinced that I had chronic migraines. I realized that they were different than the typical, but I was also told like that we're really behind the times as far as medicine with the brain. So I thought, like, okay, I do have migraines, but they're just like a different type of migraine that we may not really have a name for yet you know so I was so convinced that that was my problem and that kind of blocked me from realizing that it could be the Lyme like my parents were were feeling. And I think that's so important for all of our listeners because we just had a guest on a few weeks ago Natalie Sayer who was misdiagnosed with migraines for years and as a result mm-hmm. she suffered so much worse than she probably would have if she got an earlier diagnosis and you're not the only one to be misdiagnosed with this. So I think it's important to know if you do have severe migraines and you're not feeling better with typical migraine medication and you have these other atypical symptoms to possibly think Lyme disease. Exactly. Because I mean, I, I was, I tried so many different migraine remedies. I've actually had doctors tell me that I tried everything that existed 
for migraines and nothing worked. So, I mean, and, but I was being told like that I was just this unusual case, but if the treatments aren't working, you have to think what I, what I didn't think, but what you have to think is that there, there's something else going on because otherwise some of the treatments should have helped a little bit if it was just migraines. And so definitely anybody who's having something like migraines, but nothing's working. And then if other symptoms start to introduce themselves, I would definitely get tested for Lyme. It's hard because people can kind of excuse some of your other symptoms. Like if you have nausea and vomiting, that's common with migraines because of the pain. Same with I developed vertigo, which was something I didn't have the first time I had Lyme. And it was really why I stopped being able to ride because riding was always something that made me feel really good. I, I When I got vertigo, I, it wasn't safe because I was having trouble staying on my feet, just being in my house. I was having vision blackouts and racing heart and ears ringing and a lot of dizziness. And again, I was told that that is another symptom caused by migraines. So there were excuses for what was going on. But then when things progressed, that's just when it started to open my eyes that something else was going on. So I definitely feel like no matter if you've been diagnosed with something, if treatments aren't working and more and more things are coming up, I just honestly, I would just get tested for Lyme just to make sure that's not it. Because there's a good chance it could be. When you finally got tested and diagnosed the second time, what type of test was it that you got diagnosed with? Um, it was a blood test again, like the first time through Igenix lab. Did you ever have any traditional Western blots run through your local labs prior to that? No. Um, I mean, I had done, I did do like basic blood work and stuff, but it, nothing that, you know, you had, had to do that specific kit to find the Lyme. And once you had that positive test for Lyme disease from Igenix, what was your treatment protocol and how was it different than your first time of Lyme disease treatment? So the first time I really just stuck to oral antibiotics. My doctor did want me to do IV antibiotics, but at the time my doctor was not local. And um, I think because I was a kid, there were doctors here that weren't comfortable. So like I said, I went to the doctor that was a few hours away and she had talked about doing a pick line to be able to do the IV treatment since I couldn't, you know, get to her office every day for those since I didn't live in the area. But I was told at the time that if I got the pick line, I couldn't ride competitively. And I, this is something where it's a bit controversial with my parents. I was adamant that I would not get the pick line because I needed to ride. My parents, of course, wanted me to do it because they wanted me to get the best treatment and get better faster. But in my mind, I felt like riding was the only thing that made me have some normalcy in my life as a kid and well, a kid with chronic illness. So I felt like I needed it and I couldn't have that taken away. I chose to stick with oral antibiotics, which it was just explained to me that that would be a longer treatment process than doing the IV. I did eventually, summer before junior in high school, I did go to San Diego, California and did, I think it was 90 days of hyperbaric chamber every day. 
to add something different into the mix and that did help for a few months so that was kind of all I did the first time around the second time around I've done a lot of different things I did try getting a pick line and doing sensitive IV therapy my body did not cooperate with that it was constantly pushing the pick line so every week my home health nurse was coming to do the bandage change and all that and every week she couldn't get any blood returns so she'd send me to the ER and it was either I had moved it and they had to move it back or uh, that happened a couple times and then I ended up getting a blood clot so they had to take it out and put it in the other arm Um, and I just had complication after complication which usually you know having the pick line is supposed to be easier on the patient so I really felt like my body was kind of rejecting that that treatment plan. Um, I was supposed to do that for six months, but after like a month and a half of constant complications, I started looking into other treatments, um, and that's when I decided to go to Infusio in Beverly Hills and do the stem cells, and they did so much more there too. Again, it was hyperbaric chamber. It was lymphatic drainage. It was red light therapy, it was IV therapies like the glutathione and Myers. So they did a lot of different things there over a two-week course. I had decided to go there over trying hyperthermia in Germany. I had also looked into going to a place in Mexico for treatment, but Infusio was kind of where I felt like I needed to be. This time around, I would say I really, I started researching more on my own. Um, When I was a kid, I definitely let my mom do all of the research and kind of followed her lead. And now she researches for hours and hours still to this day. She's an amazing woman. But I also am putting in time myself and talking to people so that I can pick the treatment that I feel like is best for me. So Taylor, I want to stop there and really focus on this treatment you got the second time around after your diagnosis. So to mm-hmm. give us an idea of how you were feeling when you got diagnosed prior to all of this treatment you got, were you homebound at that point when you got diagnosed? Yes. Once you got the diagnosis, did you jump right into to this Infusio clinic for these treatments? No, first I got back on oral medications. I was on like an anti-malaria malarone, which was to target one of the co-infections, I believe. And I called that Satan's pill because it was red and it made me vomit all the time. I hated it. And I kind of shifted to a couple different oral antibiotics. And then we decided to go more aggressive. So we did the pick line with rosethin and Doxy. And I did that for a little over a month. And then that's when I decided to go to Infusio was when I was, my body wasn't handling the pick line well. I just felt like I couldn't handle that for six months with how I was already having complications every week. So, and, you know, my neurologist, I have like a team of doctors and, you know, they all have their specialty. And what's hard is, most of the time, none of them agree with each other. So that's the other difficult thing that Lyme patients face is you usually have different specialists for different issues you've got going on, but they're not going to agree. So you kind of have to figure out 
what you're listening to. Um, and my neurologist, he tends to look at things as a whole, you know, not just at the Lyme. And he looks at things long term. He's known me. He's treated me since 2005. He's the most amazing man. I give him migraines because he can't fix me and he wants to. He's just an amazing guy. He was concerned doing long-term IV antibiotics for six months, you know, with Doxy and Recephin is pretty hardcore. Um, and he was worried about long-term effects of antibiotics. It can, you know, affect your liver, your kidneys. So he was kind of like, you could be fixing the Lyme, but are you going to cause other problems for you in the long run? Which I think is important to look at when you're young because you have all these years that you want to live when you get healthy. So you need to keep that in mind with your treatments a little bit. Like, yes, you do want to treat the Lyme, but you also want to have a long life. So that was kind of what made me start to explore other options. My parents were super into the Germany idea with the hyperthermia. That scared me a bit. Um, so I really researched and I stumbled across Enthusio Beverly Hills. And like with everything, I heard a lot of negative things about it as well as positive things. But it was the first place that I just felt like, okay, this is where I should go. This is where I need to be. And it, I just felt that so powerfully that even when people, you know, because I'm a part of a, a group on social media for Lyme's and people often post about treatments they've done. And so I had posted about it and I had some people reach out to me directly with some pretty negative comments, but I had already decided that that was what was right for me. And I think with everything with Lyme, there's negatives and positives because there's not one set thing that works for everyone. You have to find your cocktail is what I like to call it. Taylor, I'd really like to go through some of the therapies you got at Infusio because a lot of our listeners are considering these types of therapies and would be interested in hearing how they worked for you. So you mentioned yes. the first things you tried was the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Was that more of a symptom relief and a detox method or was that something that you think was used to actually kill off the bacteria as well? Well, oxygen can kill... Lime. So I, it's part of trying to kill it, but it's also a great detox method. Like I said, I did it the first time around, just kind of a crash course of it, of doing just that every day for a while. And I did have a few months of doing better after that. I had a difficult time with it the first time because it was like literally a glass coffin. And I got super claustrophobic and I like threw up in it. And you can't get out because you're taken to below sea level so they got to bring you out really slow so you're like stuck in there so it was traumatizing as a kid but in infusio they have a bigger hyperbaric chamber so it's a lot more comfortable it, it kind of feels like you're in a spaceship it's got like all these cool lights and different things but it was a lot bigger you could lay down or you could sit um, you could bring in music with you you could bring a book in it was a lot better as far as for somebody who's claustrophobic. And they also, the other oxygen therapy that they did at Infusio is ozone, which I had tried that at home with a local doctor and had a really horrifying experience. But I'd heard so much good about it that I was really open to doing it again at Infusio. And I knew that they're like, they really knew what they were doing. And so they're both kind of the oxygen therapy, their detox methods, but they also, you know, have the theory that 
oxygen can help kill Lyme. So it's a little bit of both. For the ozone therapy, was that the blood ozone therapy? We recently learned there's different types of ozone therapy for Lyme disease. So is that when they actually yeah. take your blood and, and add the ozone and oxygen to your blood and then re-enter it back into your system? Yes. And the first time around that I did it, I just, I, I'm a tough stick with IVs and stuff. And so the doctor who had done it locally, when he was able to get my vein, he was like, oh, now that I have you, I want to do it twice in one day. Mind you, I'd never done it before. So, you know, I do it. And even the first time I started to feel, even if they're giving you the blood back, there is still that period where it's left your body. So it's pretty depleting. And I started to feel like a vampire was sucking my blood. Like I was really like sinking into the chair. They sent me home with the IV still in my arm. And then had me come back later that day to do a second round. And I think that was just overkill for my first experience with it. And I think that's why I had a bad experience. I felt really awful after. And from your experience, do you think that the infusio treatments of hyperbaric oxygen therapy and ozone therapy were effective for our listeners? So the first times you received them, they didn't work for various reasons because it was too aggressive for the ozone therapy. Mm-hmm. You're way too claustrophobic for the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, but do you think if administered properly that they can be effective for people with Lyme disease? I do believe that they work. And in addition to hyperbaric oxygen therapy and the ozone therapy, you also mentioned the lymphatic drainage. Can you describe what that is for our listeners and how it helped you? So you just lay there in this suit and it kind of squishes different areas. So it's basically just like a compression machine and it helps kind of get you know all those toxins kind of drained out and I actually went on to buy leg compressors for home so that was something that I learned at Infusio that it's still helpful to me to this day. And now the idea behind lymphatic drainage and using these compression suits or compression socks is that it forces your lymphatic system to circulate better and therefore be able to eliminate the toxins that are remaining stagnant in your lymphatic system, right? Exactly, which is huge for me because I have really bad circulation issues from the Lyme. It happens to me when I'm either standing for a longer period of time or sitting for a longer period of time, and I have to use the leg compressors, and it works really, really well for me. I've been told to wear compression socks, but I um, had my ankle reconstructed, and like the tight compression socks walking around it's incredibly painful for me so that's why instead I use leg compressors that I can put on for a period of time. So we also see from your pre-interview questionnaire that you did something called thymus injections. Can you describe what they are? Yes so it's that I give myself. It's a little injection into your stomach using like an insulin needle and what was interesting was originally the infusio doctor had recommended it for me because I had hair loss and really thin hair and she had said that it would help with that but then I come to find there's a lot of different benefits for it as far as helping boost your immune system and a few other benefits. I combined it with doing a B12 shot as well, which was to help my immune system because I used to get sick 
all the time, like colds and flus. I mean, I swear I could not leave my house and I would still catch something that was going around just because my immune system was so, so compromised. And since doing the thymus and the B12 injections, I have gotten regular sicknesses a lot less often. So I do think if you're somebody, you know, whose immune system has gotten so compromised that you catch everything and that's, I mean, when you have Lyme and then you get sick on top of it, that's just miserable for your body and makes it very hard for you to heal. So I think if that's your situation, I would 100% recommend the thymus and the B12 because I really just felt like it gave my immune system a major boost. And it did help my hair for for people who are struggling with the, the hair loss issue. My hair has gotten a lot thicker. It's It's pretty cool. You also tried stem cell therapy? Yes. So the stem cells, they did it at Infusio Beverly Hills, and they extracted cells from my belly fat. Kind of feels like lipo, but you don't get skinny from it. (laughs) And then they do something to the cells, like they put it in, they called it like like a vacuum type thing. And then you got it back in an IV, and basically the stem cells are supposed to kind of go in your body to the different areas that you need repair. So for people who are less sick, you know, maybe haven't been as sick as long or just not as many things have been damaged in their body, you can feel better pretty quickly. You know, there was one girl who I saw feel better pretty much right away. And then there's other people who kind of have ups and downs. And then there's some people who take a full year for the stem cells to work, which they had told me that I would probably be one of those people just because with all the years I've been sick, I have pretty extensive damage to all my organs, nerves, muscles, everything. So the stem cells have to go to all those different areas in your body and repair them. And so that can be a long process. And you will have some flare-ups during that process, but I have noticed that throughout there would be periods where like I would notice neck pain more or periods where I would notice certain other things more and things would shift. And I do think it was those cells targeting different parts of my body. I was told by Infusio that my migraine issue is nerve damage in the brain from the Lyme. So that's something the stem cells need to repair. So Taylor, we now want to pivot over to where you are today. Physically, how are you today? Physically, I'm still suffering from a lot of pain. I'm at a like eight or nine pain level every day. I've been having some bouts of lightheadedness and dizziness when I'm standing. Taylor, I want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. You've shared a really beautiful story with our listeners, and you've given them many, many paths that they need to consider during their treatment journey. So again, thank you for blessing us and our listeners with all of the beautiful information and stories that you shared with us. Thank you so much. It was really, really great to talk with you guys. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Taylor Durrett. To our listeners, we have, as always, a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Taylor Durrett and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at Taylor Lynn Durrett, D-E-R-E-G-T. Second, Tick Bootcamp encourages our listeners to support the brands that have supported Taylor during her tick disease journey. These brands include Cowie Brand, C-O-W-I-B-R-A-N-D.com, 
Instahandle, Cowie Brand, Rodeo Naked, RiderRodeoNaked.com, Instahandle, Rider Rodeo Naked, Coastal Pulse Therapy, P-U-L-S-E-E-Q-U-I-N-E.com, Instahandle, Coastal Pulse Therapy. She is also an ambassador for Best Ever Pads, BestEverPads.com, Instahandle, Best Ever Pads, and Mantra Band, M-A-N-T-R-A-B-A-N-D.com, Instahandle, Mantra Band. Third, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Fourth, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite blueprint that is inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We encourage you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you were to contact us with any improvement suggestions. Fifth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates for our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for taking time to comment on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review of this episode on iTunes, Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.